Welcome to Shift, a college admissions ACT and SAT podcast for a changing world. I'm Tyler, founder of Achievable. We have an affordable ACT course that uses memory-based adaptive learning technology to help you reach your target score faster and more efficiently. To get a free trial, you can visit achievable.me, and if you like it, you can use the code podcast to get 10% off at checkout. And if you have a question or topic you'd like to discuss in a future episode, please contact me at tyler at achievable.me with the subject line podcast topic. Now let's get started. So today we have Nat Crawford on the show. And Nat, if you could just give a little bit about your background in college admissions counseling and then uh, about your firm, Improve Your English, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, You know, my background with college admissions counseling really starts with where I went to college uh, because uh, from a very young age, I've been around students who attended top colleges, right? So I attended, I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Chicago, which is a top 10 college. And then I did my graduate work at Stanford as well. And one of the things I I noticed is that uh, a lot of my friends in high school also went to top colleges. So Mm -hmm. I've been around the students who have been doing the things to get into top colleges really since I was 14 or even 12 years old. Uh, And that's um, a big part of my background here. Um, What I've been doing since uh, leaving the Stanford PhD program is I've been working with students in Silicon Valley in one capacity or another. I taught for four years at Pinewood School in Los Altos Hills, where I wrote a lot of letters of recommendations for students who would go on to top colleges. So I got a very Mm -hmm. good feel for what sorts of letters of recommendation got students into MIT versus got students into UC Berkeley, but not into MIT, right? Right. Um, And then uh, after I uh, stopped uh, classroom teaching, I started a private tutoring company in Silicon Valley, and I've been helping students with their English skill development and also with college applications pretty much for the last 10 years, uh, with specifically with students in Silicon Valley who tend to be uh, very high achieving students with an interest in STEM. So that's my background. Uh, My students have gone on to the full list of top 20 schools and more in the United States. And it's been a real pleasure helping them get there. Yeah, fantastic. And that's it's great. I'm glad you went into detail on your background for this one, because this is going to be about how you got 100 percent of your MIT applicants admitted (laughs) in 2020, which is pretty impressive. I think MIT is one of the hardest schools you know, it's, it's in the same echelon, obviously, as like the Ivy League and then, you know, Stanford, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, you know, it sounded like you gave a hint of it earlier when you said that, you know, there are essays that will get you into MIT, but not Cal Berkeley. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, from kind of from the top, right? Uh, how did you get people into MIT? Well, it, it starts, the important thing to remember about college admissions in the United States is that it's not a lottery. So mm-hmm. this is, it, it's not a situation where everyone has an equal chance of being admitted so long as they submit an application. And I need to point this out because I think a lot of families do subscribe to this myth. Uh, and one of, you know, so we see Harvard now is 40,000 applications per year. And a lot of that is because the mentality is, 
well, I don't think I'll get into Harvard, but I'll apply anyway just to see if I get lucky and get in, right? So the, so the important thing with going 100% on MIT was we didn't let all of our students apply to MIT. Generally, when, mm-hmm. when we work with students, uh, we'll tell them if they're a, a suitable candidate for a top college like MIT, okay? Well, and specifically a suitable candidate for MIT versus like a Yale or Brown, right? Absolutely. (laughs) It's going to be very different. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And a good, like a good example of this is one of the first students that I worked with uh, that I got into MIT, you know, when I was starting with one-to-one tutoring, um, he was a kid who also applied to other top colleges like Princeton, uh, Harvard, and Stanford. But he didn't get into those uh, those liberal arts colleges. He he was mm-hmm. admitted to MIT, and there were aspects of his application where you know like someone from a liberal arts college would have looked at the application and said, "Look, this kid is clearly a better candidate for MIT, or he's going to be happier at MIT than he will be at a school like Stanford." So uh, we're just going to let him you know, reject him here and hope that he gets into MIT because that's clearly the place for him. Okay. And I mean, I agree that college counselors are trying to be thoughtful about like, what's the best for the student. But also, I mean, do you feel like, you know, oh, we're going to reject him, but we expect he'll go somewhere else. Do you feel like that's like a common thing with these high end schools in particular? Like, are they looking for a certain type of person in that high end category? Uh, yeah, quite a, quite a few schools will, I think, reject strategically. One of the most famous examples of this is uh, a school like Wash U in St. Louis. Um, and the University of Chicago, in fact, used this strategy a while back as well, where the University of Chicago was reportedly simply rejecting students with perfect SAT scores because they figured that they would probably go on to a different school and not the University of Chicago. Uh, And so and uh, other schools will use similar strategies where uh, even if an applicant looks really outstanding, um, they'll reject them because they don't want to waste an acceptance on a student who's likely to go somewhere else. Uh, If they can, they they want to make sure that if they that their so-called yield rate stays high. Uh, And so the yield rate is uh, the percentage of the students accepted. Uh, who then accept your offer of admission and go on to attend your school. Right. And I mean, MIT is one of the highest yield rates, if I recall correctly. It's in the 70s. Right. Yeah. Um, Harvard's, Harvard's yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. So, um, so but, but back to MIT, uh, you know, like, as mm-hmm. I said, you know, it's important, of course, to start with students who are strong candidates to begin with. So that means you do need to have uh, a near-perfect GPA and you do need to have um, a strong SAT score as well. Uh, but in addition to that, you're also going to need good activities. And one of the things that it's important to bear in mind with MIT uh, is that this is a school that it, one of the mistakes that people make when they're applying is they think, oh, it's MIT. It's a math. It's a school for math and science nerds. Uh, and therefore, so long as I have a high score on my math SAT and maybe I've done well on the Amy test um, and and so forth, American Invitational Mathematics Examination. And right. If I've done well on that, then I should be a good candidate for MIT. 
Um, the issue here is that MIT is looking for more, and, and particularly is looking for more from its male applicants, right? Mm-hmm. So the the year that we got uh, three, went three for three at MIT, where we had two female applicants and one male applicant, um, all in fact were from the same high school, a very high powered high school in Silicon Valley, and mm-hmm. the um, but the male applicant who got in was the only male applicant who was admitted from that high school. Uh, and so that was, oh, wow. yeah, and, and you can bet that there were at least, you know, 20, 30 other guys, maybe even more, who were applying to MIT that year. And all of whom were probably similarly high achieving. Absolutely. Yeah. Like yeah. This, is, this is a school where multiple students, in fact, typically more than 10 students will participate um, in the Amy mathematics exam. Um, and they might even occasionally send someone to the Math Olympiad camp. So these are all, they, they have um, outstanding extracurricular activities as well. So the question is what, you know, a counselor can add to an application that's going to really make the student's work stand out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a great segue, right? What is that? Particularly, I think for this episode, we're really focused on MIT, like what are what are the things that MIT is looking for? Is it that they they want a more well rounded candidate than just someone who's a math genius, or is it what else are they looking for? Right. Yeah. Well, the, one of the things that I always tell people, you know, like sometimes people misunderstand the role of a counselor, right? So, I uh, some they they think that the counselor has some sort of secret knowledge that only he has that will get the kid into the kid's school of choice. And mm-hmm. there is no secret knowledge. All of it, schools are very open about what they want in students. If you want to know what Harvard's looking for, go to the Harvard website. They have a very detailed description of what they're looking for in students. If you want to know what MIT is looking for, do the same thing. MIT has a very detailed description of what they're looking for in students. Now, what's interesting is that MIT's detailed description is uh, is quite extensive for its undergraduate program, and then it's got something like one sentence for its graduate program. If you if you want to apply to a graduate to graduate school at MIT, uh, you need to have a strong academic record and good recommendations from your advisors. Right. That that's it. Pretty straightforward. The mistake that people make is they think that the um, that the same qualifications work when you're applying from high school to a school like MIT. So 4.0 GPA, you know, 800 math, maybe 750 reading and writing, and then you get a teacher to write a good letter of recommendation for you. And then they think, oh, that enters me for the lottery for MIT, and then we all have an equal chance of getting in. Uh, but that's uh, that's not actually the case. MIT is looking for more, and their description on their own website of what they're looking for makes that clear. What is this description called? Like, if I'm googling this, if you're googling it, I mean, honestly, I can't remember off the top of my head, right? Yeah. Uh, but the um, but if you if you poke around, it's not hard to it's it's not hard to find. Is it something along the lines of like? You know, do they literally say what we look for in a candidate or is it more like couched in like these are the kind of things we value as a school, right? Like, is it? Well, it doesn't make any difference. I mean, I could, yeah, how, how they, how they phrase not. it doesn't, doesn't make any difference, right? At the, at the end of the day, you know, the, mm-hmm. the things that come up on that, that stand out on that MIT description of what they're looking for in students 
is they're looking for students who are they they, they explicitly use the word creative right so they're looking mm-hmm. for students who are creative they're looking they, they have this phrase work hard play hard and it, it's interesting mm-hmm. you know, so you have to translate each of these right and this is part of the role of the counselor that i'll get into um and right. then they also talk about they want students who are going to be global citizens who are going to uh, participate in the development of solutions for the modern world. And then the question becomes, well, what does all this mean for people who are applying to MIT? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Work hard, play hard is, is I'm surprised it's on there because it's really gotten a bad rap over the years as being kind of like a Wall Street boiler room kind of culture a little bit, right? Where it's like you work long hours and then you go get blackout drunk with your coworkers and then you wake up hungover the next morning and do it all over again. Yeah. So I, I don't I, know if that's what like MIT means. Probably not. But I, it's interesting. I, I, my guess is that MIT, at least in the admi- admissions department is so distanced from wall street, even though their graduates will go on to work on wall street, you know, right. is that they're so distanced from it that that thought doesn't even cross their mind. You know, when MIT says work hard, play hard, they are not thinking about student drinking. Right. They are they they are thinking about, um, you know, like lifting uh, a cop car onto the top of one of the campus buildings, which is one of the pranks that the uh, that the students played one year um, at MIT. So the it, with this that's impressive. How they pull that off? Uh, it's, it's MIT. They can do anything if it's <laughs> if it's mechanical or computer. You know, like they'll figure it out, right? And they want kids who will not only who can not only do it, right, but who will have the idea to do it. So right. the so the but it's important to remember what work hard, play hard means. And um, I have to explain this because a lot of the clients that I'm working with, they're their parents went to college in countries outside the United States. So mm-hmm. we've got a lot of families who the parents went to a top technical school in China or a top technical school in India, where the key is you get good grades in school and then you hit the ball out of the park on a standardized test. And then you've got a position at the, you'll get a position at one of the top colleges in the country, right? Mm -hmm. And so obviously the key to success here is just studying, 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 studying so that you're a complete master of all the material. MIT explicitly says play hard because they don't want students who just study, study, study all the time. And that, because that's associated with a certain kind of thinker, a certain kind of college student that from MIT's perspective would be better off on another campus, like maybe a school like uh, maybe a strong state college, for instance, um, or um, some other, you know, like lower tier technical school. But MIT thinks of itself as being for kids who will study to a certain point, but then do things that contribute to the liveliness and the well-being of other students on campus. So that's a big mm-hmm. thing for them. Okay. And then you mentioned earlier too, you said you should really sit down with your counselor and unpack these things. Like what, what did you mean by that? And what do you, what are you looking for the counselor to provide here? You know, I, so this is, you can throw it, you can throw all the information in the world at someone 
but they won't necessarily understand what they should do with it. Or sometimes they won't even be able to see it for what it is. And, and this is, so one good example is that I, I sometimes get students um, who, who think that they've done a good job because they come to me with this essay that they've written the, for a college application essay. And they say, yeah, I, um, I read a bunch of essays in a book called Essays That Got Kids Into Stanford. And then I wrote this essay. Um, so I think this essay is, is a good start. So they think they've done a good thing because they feel like they put in this extra work in order to make sure that the essay is good. What I invariably notice is that, yes, many of the essays in this book about essays that got kids into Stanford are, in fact, good college admissions essays. And the second thing I notice is that the student has absorbed none of the lessons from that book about what makes a good college admissions essay. So the student <laughs> sees all the essays, but was not able to see what made them good. And that's what I mean. That, and so we have to do this as, as counselors. We have to do this constantly when we're explaining to families what their kids need to do in order to get into a top school like MIT, because the families will have their own preconceptions about what it takes for a kid to get in. And that makes them impervious to what the school is actually telling them about what mm -hmm. their kids need to do to get in. And it's compounded by a whole host of issues that I don't you know, like need to go into right now. But that's the one of the most important things that I do is um, show kids uh, here's here's what the school expects. Here's what you're not doing to meet that expectation. Here's what we can do in order to meet that expectation. Right. And so then what does MIT expect? Well, in addition to the whole, so we've got the whole work hard, play hard thing, right? Which is bas which basically means we want more than just kids who are going to be grinding away at math problems late at night in their dorm rooms. Okay. Right. So then, so then one question is, well, how do you show that? Right. Well, um, a big part of that is going to be on a teacher recommendation because a lot of what is, or, or on the students essays. Okay. So, well, I'll talk first about the essays, right? So the essays on the MIT essays, you need to do more then just say, here's all the math stuff that I've done um, over the past few years. You've got to have something where you talk about uh, some activity or something like that that shows that you get out of the house and in and enjoy yourself, right? So that's yeah. One Would that you also agree with that maybe also something that shows a sense of purpose? That's some feedback I've gotten a lot from other people I've interviewed on this show is that if you... You know, it's like it's one of the examples that um, um, somebody used was comparing like I was the president of the CS club, the computer science club versus I learned Python on my own and used it to build an app that helped Venezuelan migrants navigate the U.S. Mi migration and green card process, which is a real example of like what a 16 year old that this guy was working with did. And how much more interesting that is for an application. Do you feel like that's a good piece of advice? Well, that's a great example right there. I, I wouldn't 
you know, purpose can mean anything. Your purpose can be, mm-hmm. you know, like to master the material of the textbook that you've been given, right? So it, it sounds, if I can just translate what you told me, it sounds like what you're mm-hmm. talking about is some sort of larger purpose, larger community purpose. Yeah, or just even applied skills or applied, like taking these sort of abstract things that you're learning and applying them to a real world example and then basing your essay off of that versus right. basing it off of just the skills. Yeah. So so that is important, right? But let mm-hmm. me point out that that's still not play hard, right? So right, designing, yeah. di- designing an app that helps Venezuelan refugees um, navigate the U.S. Um, you know, immigration system is still working, but it's working with the purpose of solving global problems in mind, which, by the way, is one of the things that I've already mentioned as something that MIT is looking for. So this is so, for instance, with with one of the students that I was working with, with uh, the boy, um, the one boy from his high powered high school who was admitted to MIT. One of the things that he had done was, in addition to being captain of a a world champion um, botball team, so a robotics team. Oh, cool. You know, and in addition to reaching platinum level in the USA um, computing Olympiad division, um, he Mm. had also set up a program that enabled a lot of uh, a lot of middle school students to learn the basics of robotics, and this was right. um, so. This was something that he did for his community, and it was impressive because he he wasn't picking up something that someone else had already done. He created it uh, himself, um, and then it was of substantial scale, substantial enough scale that he was able to win a couple of awards for it as well. Now, I, I don't think the winning awards is super important here, uh, ultimately. Uh, I mean, it's just another indication of how valuable the program was perceived by people in the community. But, mm. the, but the real point here is that MIT says on their website, we're looking for students who will solve problems in the modern world. And then, so you got to have, an MIT applicant needs to have something in his or her application that shows that he or she is going about doing that. Right. And then I agree with all of that. And I think I also like sidetracked you a little bit from your play hard point. So how would you show play hard in an essay too? Well, part of it is, okay, so in an essay, play hard would be, because MIT explicitly says, Or in an application, yeah, right, sorry, okay, it doesn't but, have to So be the in the essay. essay, MIT explicitly says, tell us about something you do for the fun of it, right? Um, right. I imagine that a lot of the, mis- a lot of, uh, the mis- students make the mistake of saying, wow, math is just so much fun that I find myself doing it even in my spare time, even in the shower. Right. And uh, so <laughs> this is uh, this is not. And, and while this may be true of uh, talented mathematicians, it's not what you want to use this particular question in order to say. Um, and there are yeah. many, many options here. But this is whatever whatever you're doing for this question, it would be wise to bear the whole play hard you know, a, a part of the MIT expectations in mind, um, provided, of course, that you're not that, that you're talking about. Um, you know, like positive activities and not it, like play hard does not include things like 
um, drinking, drugs, you know, and, and all that other stuff, right? So that, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. stuff that you alluded to with a with a Wall Street crowd. Uh, yeah, if it's if it's if it's like what I like to do for fun is meth, that's not going to go over very well. <laughs> no, no, it's uh, although with um, with MIT applicants, uh, my understanding is I think there was. Um, I was reading about an MIT admit who was eventually expelled from the school because he was using his dorm room to create um, recreational drugs. And um, so like, so like this is a huge, obviously a huge problem. And this is exactly the sort of student that MIT is looking to avoid admitting. Right. So, yeah. so, th- so, so they so, are screening for this kind of lone wolf genius who won't be bound by rules and um, is likely to go off the rails when given the freedom of a college campus. Yeah. So then what, what are some good examples for that you've seen for that, for that essay question, right? Like, what do you do for fun? Well, I'm, you know, like, I, I don't want to go into too much detail here, but I think there are, sure. there, there are many possibilities, right? So like you, uh, you could write, um, I don't know, you, you could write about uh, a, uh, you could write about an outdoors activity that you like to do, mm-hmm. right? Or maybe you could write about skateboarding, right? There's right. The, the point here is that MIT is serious that it's, they, they want they want to see that you're capable of having fun and that you know what this word fun means for ordinary people living their lives. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it could even be things like I make costumes and then go to cosplay conventions. Like, I mean, that's hard work. Yeah. <laughs> There's absolutely. a lot that goes into that. Yeah, and it's and it's outside, you know, like you may be part of a larger community, but it's not something that's assigned in school, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, so but the reason I kind of hesitate, one of the reasons I hesitate to give um, specific examples is because one of the things that really concerns me about the particular group of people that I work with is that um, they're always trying to copy each other when it comes to applications. And another role that I have as a counselor is saying, no, this thing that you're trying to do here does not sound like you. It sounds like someone else. You've got to talk about you. And when we're talking about going three for three at MIT, um, a big part of it is making sure that the essays sound like the student, this student and not like they're trying to ventriloquize another student's approach. Got it. So then getting students into MIT, I think we've really dug in on, you know, what kind of student you should maybe be before applying and then kind of we really dug in on the essays quite a bit and I appreciate your patience with me on that and I'm curious now if there's anything you would like to kind of wrap up with or sort of any part of it that they feel like has been left out so far yeah like that whole creativity thing that I mentioned uh, earlier is big for MIT the kids that I've helped get into MIT have all had something creative on their application in one way or another. So either playing a musical instrument, for instance, mm-hmm. this is pretty consistent. I, I've known uh, a couple of superstar cellists who were admitted to MIT. And uh, I know, I'm, I'm sure that the music played a big role there. Um, kids who do who have a photography, you know, like they have a photography um, portfolio that they can show. Uh, or some other arts portfolio that they can show, um, or they have, you know, like just some other, or maybe there's, um, maybe they, maybe they write, you know, like 
uh, poetry for fun or something like that. But um, this, you know, like MIT explicitly says, like they're, they're looking for students who are creative and they, uh, so you, you've got to, you've got to show that in your application in one way or another. Mm -hmm. Okay. And and that creativity is, is really what they think is like a key part of the difference between like an MIT student and somebody who just nails math elsewhere right like yeah, they really I really want those that. dynamic individuals yeah exactly and, and let me illustrate this with another um example from when i was teaching high school in the classroom is i had um i had two students who were very strong math students and both of them took my literature class and one of the students he i mean he just he he was he was good at the literary um at the stuff we did in the literature class reading shakespeare analyzing texts acting out scenes um but he you know like he, he just kind of did what was what i assigned him the other student kept on doing these little creative things like for instance he made a comic book version of beowulf or he wrote a uh, a parody of a poem that we read and mm -hmm. i referenced this on his application to mit and one of my one of my phrases was, you know, I'm pretty sure that in that, you know, uh, fountain of creativity, there's some invention that uh, a few million people are going to use one day. Uh, and that's the that's the kid who was admitted to MIT. The other kid did not get into MIT, but went to Berkeley. Now, later on, the kid who went to Berkeley did go to MIT for grad school and got his PhD there. But um, that's, again, another <laughs> indication of the difference between grad school applicants and undergraduate applicants for a school like MIT. Got it. Cool. Any closing thoughts on MIT before we wrap up? Uh, MIT, MIT is a great school to go to if you're able to get in. And um, I hope that, uh, I, I hope more than anything that anyone uh, who listens to this um, starts to think a little bit more carefully about the difference between um, MIT and some of the other top uh, schools for math and science in the country. Exactly. Thank you so much. This is Ben Shift, a college admissions podcast for a changing world, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Nat Crawford from Improve Your English. And you can get a free trial of Achievable's ACT course at achievable.me. And if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout.